since I started this podcast, I've had the privilege of talking to great people who are doing great work in the field of education. Once in a while, though, I've had the opportunity to talk to a really special person. And I don't mean special in the sense that they're better than all the rest. I mean special because their role is quite unique. And today's interview is one of those roles. I got a chance to speak to someone who is a debate teacher. I was always intrigued by debate programs at school, and this was just really informative. And I'm really curious to hear your thoughts and reactions to what you hear in this episode. So definitely reach out at turnathogpodcast at gmail.com and also feel free to leave a comment. We'll love to hear your thoughts. Enjoy. Welcome to the Trinitalk Podcast, where educators take the mic back and speak their truth without filter. I interview teachers and school personnel and ask them to share their views and experiences about education anonymously. If you work in a school setting or have worked in one and have something to say about education, please email me at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com because I'd love for you to take the mic back and add your voice to the conversation about public education. Subscribe, share, and enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. We are uh, here with uh, a very special person with us today who is a speech and debate coach as well as an ESL teacher. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for spending time with us this evening. It is a school night, so really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Would love to get started with a little bit about what you do and how did you get into education? No problem. So, I am a speech and debate coach um, for the underserved community that I'm in, and I got into it actually because I had initially started um, out as a like an athlete, as a baseball player. Um, my father was very heavily involved in the Major League Baseball scene, and it was kind of destiny that I was supposed to kind of follow in that track, and um, I had skill. It, it wasn't about... Uh, any deficiencies of any sort in that way but um I remember I was in fifth grade and a theater teacher approached me and she's like you know I think you can definitely do this um this play I'm doing and I'm like what's that and she's like it's a musical and I'm like what's a musical she told me it's like it's when you know you act and sing I'm like you can do both (laughs) and I was just flabbergasted by this idea so I auditioned and I left and I'm like this is what it is like nothing's gonna result from it and she posted the 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 people who made like the, the the list, like the callbacks and whoever was in the show. And I looked and I'm like, okay, I looked from the bottom up because I'm like, I'm a fifth grader. This is, I'm, <laughs> this is a, the the school ranged from fifth to twelfth grade, so the odds of me being anywhere near the top are not going to be good. So I just looked at it from the bottom up and didn't see my name after like twenty names. I walked home <laughs> and I got a call from her that evening saying, why didn't you come to rehearsal? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, you're one of the leads. And I'm like, what? And from <laughs> there just began like this, this crazy like journey of eight years where I've been in that way, which led to me actually um, speaking with some people regarding speech and debate who thought, oh my gosh, you'd be great for this. And I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. And they're like, well, we'll teach you. And instead of teaching me, they took me to an Ivy League school the next week. And I got destroyed in the competition, but it taught me a lot about how people act and how people are ethically and the way that they work. So essentially, I just started working that way. I did well through high school. I was, it was gracious enough for me to be able to um, win the state championship twice. And I managed to end up second in the nation in what I was doing. 
And then um, the company or the, the school had basically asked, would you mind, you know, kind of shadowing some of the teachers there and kind of doing like an assistant thing? And I'm like, okay, this would be cool. And the assistant thing kind of developed into um, what I have now, which is I work alongside them and we curate a lot of um, the students, their performances, their speeches, their debates, and make sure that they are working for some competitions. We actually just came back from the West Coast yesterday wow. and we're leaving tomorrow to another Ivy League school that we're competing at. So it's just nonstop. So that's that's speech and debate. So talk to me about the debate piece of it. So speech and debate coach, how does one become one? It's very niche, I think, um, because people outside of our community aren't really that well aware of it. But the people in our community are well, like, very regarded, like very highly um, sought after. Like Oprah, mm-hmm. Oprah Winfrey um, is one of the alums. She's a dramatic interpretation national winner. Like wow. she's in there. Um, Barack Obama was a speaker. Nelson Mandela was in there. Um, there's the person who plays um, Olaf and the little snowman from yeah, from yeah. Uh, Frozen. Frozen I watched um, that movie so every all... night for straight months when my daughter was little. <laughs> I love it. Literally, that's um. So that's all these people are uh, a product of this organization. So. There are high schools. Sadly, there are there are more prestigious, highly kept, very financially stable high schools that have this mm-hmm. program. It's a national honor society program called Speech and Debate, and mm-hmm. essentially they they've been debating for a long time. They've been doing this debate has just been a thing, but they also added this element of speech where you can speak and you can act um, with the sources that you get. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it costs a lot of money to be able to do it, which is why it's not that known because it's mm-hmm. one of the things that a lot of private school children do. So my, um, the company I work with is a management company for a couple of schools across the Bronx and Harlem and even across some places in the country. And what we do is the company is able to say, listen, we're going to invest in these children. They can't afford this, but we're going to put this money down. We're going to trust you and your people that you work with to essentially make this a great thing. And to be honest, I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. And at first they're like, we just want you to have fun. But that's, then we started doing well, really fast. And it was one of those things where they're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta make it count. I mean, I remember having a, a, a conference with, with an organization like two or three years ago that I didn't really think none of it. But then like my boss's boss's boss, who's just like a step below the CEO, had contacted me and said, look, I know you were behind this. Um, mm-hmm. We just received $9 million in grant money for this, wow. and for arts education. And I thought that's amazing because just the, um, the, the opportunity for kids to, to just express themselves is so awesome. And that was actually following the, I think it was like the national endowment for the arts was being cut around that time. Mm-hmm. So that grant was really, really important because the conversation was, what do we do with music? What do we do with theater? What do we do right. with these stuff in our schools if they're getting cut? But because of the money, that didn't happen. In order to um, to be involved in that way, it, it just you just honestly uh, sign up in your school or how it has it. It just costs a lot of money. It's not that many schools have it. In fact, I think we're one of two in the entire borough of my city that has it. Mm-hmm. And the youngest school is a private school. So Yeah. So uh, talk to me about the role of uh, debate and, and speech and its connection to academics. It, obviously, there seems to be a clear connection there. 
uh, with language and language acquisition, expressive language, etc. How do you see the role of debate and speech in students' academic development? I think it's important. I think I see it as something that goes hand in hand with what they're doing, more specifically because of the fact that like, I really feel that it teaches discipline, that it teaches consistency, and that it teaches reliance on something that you love. Because I know that there are a lot of people that may not like brick and mortar schools. And I'll be honest, myself included, I am not one that, tradi- that likes the traditional way of schooling. Just for whatever reason, it's just something that hasn't appealed to me. Mm-hmm. But I do love speech and debate. I do love theater. I do like arts education. And I was told and basically led to believe that if I didn't have my grades at a certain level, I could not participate. So because mm-hmm. of that, it forced me and prompted me to have to learn about these things. And what I found through learning through them is that a lot of the things that people are teaching, it's because of the ineffectiveness of the teachers that are teaching the material, not the material itself. Because when you really look at it, like a lot of the material that we go through, whether it be history, math, English, like any of this stuff is actually pretty cool. I actually like um, some of the stuff. And mind you, I'm not even that far removed from school. I mean, I graduated from college the end of 2018. So I'm not even, I'm not even that like far off from from school. All I know is that mm-hmm. like there are the only way that I figured out I was going to end up getting the degree that I was after was that I needed to make what I was doing fun for me. I needed to yeah. like it. And I know that a lot of students like the way that they express themselves through arts education and through speech and debate. So just having that translate over to what they're doing is amazing. I mean, I was on a flight yesterday. Yeah, it was on the red eye back from um, where I was coming from. And literally, mm-hmm. One of the girls was like, I really do not understand um, advanced placement history. And I'm like, huh, I took it to <laughs> high school. Maybe I remember something. And it was just like, it was crazy because she was showing me the material and she was reading me the textbook version of what it was. And I'm like, this is crazy. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, <laughs> you don't understand that they were like, these people were trying to start beef with each other. And I was basically just speaking her lingo. I'm like, you understand that this girl was ratchet. And this girl was trying to start a war with this other person. But then the emperor wasn't trying to have it. So the emperor came out of nowhere and like swagged up and like literally, and you just saw her eyes just glow up with what it is. And she's like, she's like, I didn't see it that way. I'm like, you're not supposed to, but you know now. So when you have to present this tomorrow or the next day that you have you know, class, then say it that way because otherwise it doesn't mean anything to you. So I think in the way that like we see it, the way that we've delivered it, the way that we, um, do speech and debate um, as a way to express yourself, I think comes out in personalizing the academics that you have. I really think that a lot of people think that they're like academics, traditional academics are just so remote from who they are as people. But like when you come to, when you do speech and debate, I think a lot of people like start kind of owning what they do because some of the stuff that we do, whether it be dramatic or humorous or speech, where you just directly speak about your issues, um, they're personalized. They're things that relate mm-hmm. to you, like the speech is yours or the acting pieces, you know, when you have to act, they are derived from your life experiences. And that's the way you can actually omit or emit emotion. And because of that, I just had this like thing where I'm like, why can't you do that with history? Why can't you do that with English? You don't have to like your teachers. You don't really even have to like the subject, but there's a lot of relatability to it. And I really do believe that those that don't really know history or learn from it are doomed to repeat it. And that's only just because of the fact that we don't, I don't think we really own history. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important is that you really need to own what you do. And that's the reason we're successful. It's just the kids own what they do. So I'm like, you can do that with academics too. Yeah, it's just hard, hard for it to transfer because it sounds like there's a lot of passion and there's a lot of specific skill set as well as your ability to relate and present information in ways that children can understand and own that may not come as naturally to a lot of teachers. And maybe that's one of the barriers to some levels of schooling where teachers might have a hard time to present information in a way that relates to kids. Yes, I I do believe that there are some teachers that, whether it be through just their own selves or no fault of their own, just kind of see the job as another paycheck or the kids as just, you know, just flat out new, like they're just a nuisance. And, you know, I, 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 I can't lie here. Like, I know that there are annoying kids. Like, I was one of them. Like, I know that <laughs> they are. there are some kids that are just get on your nerve. But at the end of the day, you love them. And I think part of it is just, I really feel that the only, like, the miscommunication or where we disconnect from each other, because... The one thing is that two of my colleagues who are basically my bosses, um, one of them is in their like like upper 70s. One of them is in their early 50s and I'm 24. So like and the kids usually range from like age 10 to age 19. So some of them identify with me more just because I'm closer to their age. And I'm like, there really is no like shadow here in terms of like what is being done. I just understand stuff because I've I've done it I've done it like, like six years ahead of you, but fairly that's really recently. it. I mean, <laughs> like fairly recently. But I mean, what it just boils down to is I the only real difference and the reason why I feel like like my the oldest boss I have the one that's in her upper seventies is really really good, highly respected, and just a master at what she does. Only because she listens and she mm-hmm. cares to a fault about these kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's lacking. I don't think the communication is as difficult when you understand people. And when you understand people, you can allow them to understand the material. Because if they don't trust you, they're not going to trust what's coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned something, uh, obviously, a, a, a part of your life was also influenced by your father's affiliation with the world of sports. So I'm wondering uh, if you feel there's a connection or a relationship between coaching for speech and debate and coaching of a sports team what similarities or differences are there i think that it boils down to consistency and just intent to be the best you can be mm-hmm. i know for a fact i have friends that have you know gone on to be in the major leagues my father was not exactly happy with my decision to just go full fledged theater and mm-hmm. it all it all went into a head because uh last year unfortunately i was diagnosed with cancer and um, thank God I'm cancer free now. Wow. Um, but the journey in the last year or two has been crazy, but it brought my father to kind of just, you know, actually have a conversation with me. He was very worried as any parent would be to lose mm-hmm. his son uh, that young or at all. And we just spoke and just being able to see that it's not even about what you were doing. It's about the way you were doing it. Like he's very, very passionate about baseball and about the way that he coaches his team. He has his own team in the Dominican Republic that he basically manages with like the, um, the major league people. So mm-hmm. I know that he does that. And I do my thing with education, with speech and debate. And what we realized is that the only, that the connection is that 
you know, consistency matters. Do your homework. Memorize your speech. Um, make sure that you do your rebuttals. Check over your cases. Uh, make sure that you're looking and asking questions. There are words you don't know in the speech. So look at that up. And we see that there are people that are passionate about baseball. There are people that are passionate about education. There are people that are passionate about speech and debate. And I'm like, the only real difference is just the way that you're emitting that. Because you tell me you, you don't really, like, you aren't that way for, like, say, literature. And I'm like, I, I don't know if that's it. Because you, you aren't in love with the idea of debate. You're in love with the idea of you debating, you mm -hmm. doing that. So if you translate that to just being someone who loves to like interpret literature, deliver it, write it, instead of someone who has to like love the subject, then I mean, I think perspective might change because even though we're not at like at all, like on the same page about everything, I definitely do respect what my father was doing with baseball. And it's crazy how one conversation changed my life completely. I would not be speaking with you right now had I not met the, that woman the day I did. Right. So it's just one of those things where you start realizing with a lot of people and a lot of kids, they have the opportunities to succeed, but I don't know if their perspective is right on it. It really, it, all it is formula wise, is just hard work, determination, consistency. And I know that sounds cliche, but I, I'm just being honest. We were ranked top three in the entire country. And the two, like, and like it's juggling between like one, two, and three. And we're like fighting like private schools where it costs more than a college education to attend it. And we come from the poorest congressional district in the United States. So mm -hmm. I'm just like, it's not about that. I've actually had a comment from someone say that we, we've gotten performance enhancement drugs once. <laughs> and I thought that was a funny, yeah, yeah. I literally <laughs> had that reaction. I'm like, I didn't know that those things also work for debate too. I didn't had no idea. Um, but it was just, I'm like, honestly, this is what it is. You, you are after school for like an hour or two. Mm. I finished school with them at like 8, 9 p.m. Like, wow. they, as, we, as we speak, I literally, five minutes before I, I got into this call with you, I literally submitted some documents. And as we speak, like right after I finished talking with you, there are going to be some kids that are going to have some questions regarding transportation, regarding speeches. It sounds really, really intense. Do you find that students, I mean, in your experience, do students stick to it for a while? And how long do they usually stay in the team? That's what's funny. You would think that um, they would just find the opportunity to just race away the minute <laughs> they graduate high school or the year uh -huh. end. But no, um, some of the team members stay for a long time. I think the longest tenured child we have currently that's still on the team, she's a 10th grader. We got her in fifth grade and she's wow. been with us since. And I mean, this girl, we've been through a lot of things, turbulent flights, tornadoes. It was an earthquake <laughs> once. Like we wow. just, it was just, it was just a fun, we, we actually, one time we tried to get chicken and um, a tornado happened in the city we were in. And it knocked a tree into the chicken spot. So it was one of those what? things where I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I guess we're not getting chicken today. Oh, God. And I'm like, so I've lived with this, this girl. It's crazy. But you start realizing you see their wants, their fears, their aspirations, how they are. It's just like they're like your children after a while. It's just crazy. Like I literally, I actually just left her like an hour or two ago because she's doing the dramatic side of things and also informative speaking, which is just informing 
the audience of what she's doing. She's doing something on like nursery rhymes. And it's crazy to see how they develop. Like they, they stay with you. They are connected with you. And it's funny because I was actually told after my bout with the hospital, I finished the hospital in June of 2019. And I was given a choice. I was given a choice of whether I wanted to kind of forsake what I was doing, apply mm-hmm. for disability, which I can, because at the point I'm still very like not in, like I'm not 100%. I still am not. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's just like, this is what it is and you should take it. And um, boss of mine, he had, he had emailed me saying, listen, I'm not asking for you to race back, but I would really love your help with something. And I'm like, I will be there in a heartbeat. And literally, like the next week, I was back in at work. Like it was, we went to, we went, we went, we went to Nebraska the next week. Like it was no one's business. Oh and the kids, like one of the kids was like fifth in the nation. We did a whole great thing. We came back. Like it was my birthday when we came back. My boss guy gave me like a cupcake with like little balloons at the airport. Like it was just <laughs> one of those things where. I had the opportunity to leave to kind of be in the sidelines and, and a lot of people were saying I should have, but with me, with the girl that like survived the tornado, it was just <laughs> one of those things that you just, you can't leave it once you're in it. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So in terms of like how long do people stay? I mean, they just stay. I, I, I think in, in our history, at least in the last couple of years we've had three of the 50 60 students we've worked with like depart and it hasn't even been voluntarily two of them were because of family issues and one of them was because their grades were so low we had to dismiss them so we've never really had a student voluntarily leave the team that's pretty remarkable and also congratulations (laughs) on you uh, beating cancer and good luck to you Thank in the future you. with that. So this made me also think about skills necessary to be successful in speech and debate. The reason why I ask is because most adults I have met, especially including teachers actually, have always shared a fear of public speaking. That's and... what I don't understand. <laughs> I, know. I don't get it. Like, because I understand, I know the statistics. It's like, number one is speaking. Number two is dying. Like, I, I really don't get <laughs> The biggest that. Like, fears of, of people. I just, because my thing is, I, I see that as, like, it's more so like, until you've tried it, you can't say that it's a problem. That's the, like, I, I'll be honest, like, because this, this is coming from someone who was an introvert growing up. Who wow. didn't speak to anyone, was just to himself, was creative in his own right, but like, I just did not want to speak to people. So I understand where the fear comes from. But there's just something about when you try it and when you try it consistently enough that it's unmistakable that it's going to change your life. And I have a student as well. He's a freshman that we have that when I tell you this boy does not speak, he does not <laughs> speak. He is like he's literally he's an immigrant. Um, he's someone that had gone, had been in the school for like a year did not want to speak to anyone, but he mm-hmm. wanted to do speech and debate, but would not talk. And I'm like, why are you here? You don't <laughs> even want to talk. And it took months to work with him on that. And he would just not speak. So my boss was like, you know, it's just better that you just don't do this. Like you're really good at sports. Do that. And I don't know, something in me was like, uh, no, cause I, I quit sports for this. So there's something mm-hmm. to it. And I'm not, I'm not the best speaker on the planet but there's something about this kid. So we left him on the team. We took him to Stanford University. We, wow. we, we literally, we took this boy 
across the country to compete. And he was coming out of his shell slowly, but he was. And graciously, I was, I'm able to say the boy ended up 10th in the entire nation at that tournament. Wow. Like he was basically 10th at an Ivy league school. And it's like, what? Like that's yeah. amazing. Like, and he was just, re- we just spoke actually like two, three hours ago. Cause I had a rehearsal with him and we were speaking and my boss was just kind of like leading the whole conversation, just figuring that stuff out mediating. And he just, he spoke. And just to think of where he's come from, from when we first met him in mm-hmm. August, is just insane. Like, yeah. and that's where I'm like, you know, I understand people can be scared about speaking and about, you know, because I, I, I get it. Like, I guess the fear of public speaking is crazy, but I, I mm-hmm. think it's crazy. I think until you try it, you just don't know. You mentioned that this child that you work with, this student, he didn't speak for a very long time and then he had the success. I feel like a lot of teachers listening also could relate to that. And because a lot of times there are students, you know, who are not, who just who need their time to feel safe, to engage in the learning process, etc. So how long do you think should you stay with a child when you're trying to teach the child something before saying, you know what, this might not be for you. I, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a, I think, I think that's a, that's a question I haven't been able to answer myself because mm-hmm. there are people that will get it instantaneously and there are people that will take months, years. I mean, we had a student that um had a speech impediment and he wanted to do this, but I mean, adamantly do this. Like he was, Beyond mm. this, like he was behind this completely. He started in the eighth grade. He was horrible, but you know, it was he was really committed to it. So the ninth grade came. Mm-hmm. It was bad, and it was like, but 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 you want to do this, and then tenth grade came, and he's still bad. It's like you still want to do this though, and mm-hmm. then eleventh grade is like, are you going to leave? And he still wanted to do this and it took 12th grade we were at a competition near the white house and we were competing i'm coming out of a room because i was adjudicating it and i get swamped by some of the team members this was a couple years ago and i'm like what's wrong they're like oh this person made it i'm like what do you mean and they're like this person (laughs) is in the top 12 i'm like of the nation and they're like yes and i'm like you've got to be kidding so he came and he was actually a teammate of mine because he, when he was in eighth grade, I was in 12th grade. So I kind of like the last year was kind of competing with him. So mm-hmm. to kind of see him four years later or five years later, just absolutely do such a great job. Just, I, I was over the moon. My bosses were crying. It was like, everyone was like, yeah, like screaming, throwing streamers. And it made me realize that, you know, I feel like if the kid or the students, like if they really want it, you don't stop. I I, I think that's it. Do you think those skills, skills like persistence, grit, not giving up? I guess uh, some people would call these character strengths, optimism and, you know, these these sorts of traits and qualities. Do you think these are more important than learning, you know, read and understand poem or those kinds of academic skills or how to solve an algebraic expression do you think which do you think is important or do you think it's both honestly i think that the former is more important than the latter though both of them are really important Mm -hmm. i do think that if you have the consistency if you have the grind essentially to do this stuff then i think i personally believe that all of the academics you need to learn come with it because to be honest you're not going to really learn 
about this stuff, about what you need to learn if you're not motivated to do it. Mm. Like you, you're just not. And I know that from firsthand experience, like there's just some, some subjects, even in college that I just, I wasn't really about until I changed my perspective on it. Mm. And I just learned there's certain things that, you know, you won't know until you're motivated. And I was only motivated because of what I was able to do. I figured if I got this degree, I'd be able to work on a higher level and be able to really like be full fledged with these students and just have a great time and just show them that they are important, that they matter and that they have the possibility of changing the world, if not more. And I really believe that because they don't need to be the best at chemistry, but if they know what they're doing with their speaking, if they have the drive to try, they're going to get good. Like I really do believe like, this is like my, my, my sister has autism and she came with us this weekend. Mind you, this is a sixth grader. So why she's, and she ended up, she was 33rd in the country of high school competi- competition. Like she's a sixth grader at a high wow. school competition at an Ivy league school taking like basically in the top 30. And this is a girl who is at a speaking competition with a speech impediment who has autism. It's incredible. She's one of the reasons that I've realized that you don't have to be the best academically at first. If you have the drive, if you're persistent, and she was, I've discouraged her a lot by saying, you know, you don't have to do this. You can take your time. You can mm-hmm. get acclimated to the school because she's in a new middle school, which is the one, one of the schools that I service. And she was mm-hmm. just like, I want to do this. And there's something about a kid that is passionate enough to want to do something. You just can't stop them. Their grades just absolutely skyrocket and like her GPA went like from a two point something to like a three point nine. Like wow. just not because she, she's getting smarter, it's not because she's like she's just taking time to study this stuff. And mm-hmm. she'll literally like she'll work into the night. She'll make her mom, my mom, wake up at like three, four in the morning. Every time I like call wow. my mother on Skype or FaceTime, it's what it, it's the same story. She wakes up two hours before to work on this stuff to make herself a better student because we instill in them that if you're not a great student, you can't be a great performer. You can't be a great speaker. And they try. And I'm not saying they're the best kids on the planet when it comes to academics. I'm simply saying that they try. And I think trying and being persistent is really important for that because then the academics kind of comes after. Yeah, I feel like from your stories uh, and very inspiring stories, I'm taking away two two ideas that are that are uh, kind of reinforcing some of the beliefs that many teachers I do think hold. One is that every child is going to learn at her or his own pace. And, you know, we, we cannot make the decision to not expose them to something. And the other thing that's coming to my mind is sticking to something with discipline and consistency and a sense of commitment, no matter the natural talent you can rise above and to your potential. I definitely do believe that. I think something I learned more than anything is the reason I even stay in this field. The reason I stay in this is because besides being from the community that um, I, I help, just the idea that you can win all these trophies and speak great and get good grades, but like your family doesn't support you or your teacher still thinks you're dumb and has said it verbally and you know, some of the, the some of the people say you will amount to nothing despite the fact that you're achieving everything. Mm-hmm. Um, just having somebody that's in an 
in an educator position has an influence in your life. Just saying that, you know, I'm not going to give up on you. Like I'm yeah. not, I'm committed to you regardless of what happens. I think is very important and paramount to a kid's learning and a kid's education. Like I really do believe that they can really just do amazing things if they are believed. I really do believe that because my, like I said, my sister is not like, is far from someone you would think would be top 30 at a speaking competition on a national mm-hmm. scale. And the only thing she had to her name is that I just said, you can do it. You can do it. I will vouch for you. I will fight to the end to get you there. And mm-hmm. then it's all you. But trust and believe I got you. And I think hearing I got you for them means the world. Yeah. Maybe, not, maybe it doesn't for every single uh, you know, population of children, but yeah. at least for the ones that I work with, it means the world. And how do you think this affects or does it have any effect on a child's identity development? I think it allows them to voice their opinions. I think that um, because they are teenagers or they're on the younger side, a lot of adults don't feel the need to have to listen to them. I think that giving the kids that opportunity to speak is really, really important because I do believe it helps them express themselves. It helps them be able to speak. It lets them know that they have a voice. It lets them know that their opinions matter. I think that a lot of problems with some of the things that are happening in our school system is that we have told certain kids or we have instilled in them this idea of that you literally follow and listen to authority and you don't have an opinion until you get out of the house, mm-hmm. um, until you're 18, until you're an adult. And it's like, well, no, not to say that every single kid's like word is golden. I mean, they're kids, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I just feel like they have things to say and we should listen. And I think speech and debate enables them to do that. It really allows them to kind of be like, yeah, I have an opinion. I have a thought. I would like to talk. I may not be right, but I have something to say. And I think that's important. You touched on schools a little bit early in our conversation. Um, and you shared that growing up, you didn't necessarily enjoy a more traditional way of teaching and learning. What What is your view of public education right now and what is your view of how our schools are doing and how our kids are doing in school i just it's 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 not good like i i really want to be more optimistic about this because i just think about my my sibling and the fact that she's going to go through middle school and high school soon and if i have a kid in the future what that may bring for them and just thinking about the fact that like an education system hasn't changed in decades and it's essentially the same thing. I, I and and the only the issues that are really pertinent to what they are, it's it's just the problem is is that a lot of it's like I dictate and lecture to you, you write the notes, you take the test, you get out of my life. And that's what I feel is a lot of the problems with school where it's like, well, why can't we have a personalized experience with the children? Like I don't understand why you can't learn about the students' problems, what they're going to through, the way that they learn. I love something that um, a 10th grade teacher of mine did that I will never forget. And he came to the whole class and he said, I want you to label what type of learner you are. We're mm-hmm. going to take a little test. And it's like, you're either a visual learner, an analytical learner, uh, like a learner by page, like I, some of those things. And I was a visual learner. And he essentially divided for the next month his lesson plans into three different mm-hmm. styles of how people would learn the best. 
And I thought that was amazing. And it stuck with me even like it, it's been, it's been almost a decade since I last mm-hmm. um, remembered that or that that happened. But what stuck with me was that he was willing to make sure we got it. He was willing to make sure we understood. And he wanted to listen to our opinion. I think those are three things that in traditional education, I'm not seeing. And mm-hmm. I want to see because even though they may not be the the pinnacle of our society or they may not be the most important people or yada yada. The kids are the future, as cliche as it is to say. And if you don't teach them that they matter from the start, it's going to be very difficult in the future. Cause I would actually like the students to kind of run towards school rather than run from mm-hmm. it. Like mm-hmm. let this be something that's great for you. That let education be awesome for you. I think that'd be great. But um Oftentimes, it just seems like they, they're deterred because of stuff like, oh, you know, you got to take the test and you're studying for the test. And once you take the test, we'll just act like the material doesn't exist anymore. And um, that can't happen. What are your thoughts on uh, curriculum that is taught at schools? Do you feel satisfied what students are being taught in school is the right kind of stuff to be taught in 21st century? Uh, no, I, I I think that um, we have a lot of stuff happening in our world that we should be able to explore. I think we should be able to go outside and have a lesson outside. I think that we should be able to kind of like speak about things that are happening. Like you can't give me a textbook from 1986 and tell me to learn it now um, again and not address the fact that like there are people dying in another country that we're affiliated with. Like you can't brush that issue and then kind of drum it up by saying, we're going to learn from this 40 year old textbook you kept behind your closet for who knows how long. Like at some point, I think that relevancy is needed in curriculums. I think current events, even if, and I'm not trying to get all political about it. I just think that teaching about the now is very important. I think that a lot of curriculums tend to be outdated at times. And there's just not much of an incentive to update them because they're like, well, this works. It's always works. So let's do it. But it's like, there's only so much you can really learn before you get into the real world and everything mm-hmm. is just like, not what you think it is. I mean, trying to explain to some of the students that are graduated and these are kids that are like two, three years younger than me. Um, so I'm like, Hey, this is how you file taxes. And they're like, what? And, mm-hmm. or, hey, like, did you know how to balance the budget or how financials work? Do you know how to, you know, get a job, how your interview skills would work? And they're just, they're they're astonished. Mm -hmm. And I I feel for them because I'm just someone that just Googles a lot of things. But I think about them, I'm like, I would love for a curriculum that we, you know, we put in schools to kind of address not only the stuff that they need to know, but just kind of address life. I, I, I think that curriculum is now more about just technicalities, but not about life itself. So I think if we bring that into schools a lot more, it'd be pretty cool. When you get students to work with for speech and debate, what are, let's say, maybe the top two or three skills or mindsets that you feel are like, are usually not there and you guys really have to work hard to develop those that, doesn't seem like we're developed in schools ironically communication we have a group messaging service to communicate with the team we give our permission slips 
we literally, we coordinate certain things. Like I know after this, I literally have to just follow in some information and, and kind of uh, relay with my bosses about where we need to meet because we need to meet to leave um, the state tomorrow to go to a competition. Communications one. They do not like to talk about what they need to do. They need to, they don't like to talk about any conflicts they have. They feel a lot more comfortable speaking to me because I'm closer to their age. But I'm like, you can speak mm. to these guys too. Like they, they love you. They, they're <laughs> by you. They support you. They, you just, what are you so scared about? Like, or even the fact that like they won't communicate certain issues. Like I need to get tutoring or I need to deal with something at home. Is that related Nine to confidence, you think? No. Because they're confident when they speak, I think it's related to trust. Mm. Um, I think I think it's just really like, am I able to let go of the fact that you guys are not the traditional brick and mortar teachers that we've always feared, which also mm. kind of dampers my view of how how the education system has portrayed teachers. Because I think teachers are amazing, but the thing is, is that I can only say that about a few of them, and that sucks. Mm-hmm. And I want that to change. So I really do want them to trust. And that's one of the biggest things is communication. Trust would have been the second one. It's just, I want them to believe in what's happening and ultimately confident. Like you can do it. You can be amazing. You can, I, I don't know why you think you can't. Mm-hmm. And I think that across the board, a lot of students feel that because they get a low, like a low mark on their grades or like they get like one fail or like one homework wasn't turned in or like they have like a detention suddenly the world ends and there's no hope for life and it's like you got to be kidding me like you're on the you're on the verge of greatness you have no idea but i i think they just need to believe that and they don't yet what about reading and writing skills does that matter a lot in speech and debate yes because if i have if i have a nickel for every single time I've seen kids, I, I said this, I literally said this yesterday on the flight back. I'm like, look, <laughs> you, cannot te- you cannot write a speech for a class the way you text me or anyone. <laughs> I think writing and, and, and reading skills, well, reading, obviously, but like writing skills are important to be developed. I think just reading some of the essays before we work on them where it's just lacking substance. And I'm like, you know, the passion that you put towards memorizing speeches and giving them, like, why don't you do that towards your classes? Like, you can write down speeches. And I think that just comes back to the whole trust, communication, confidence thing. Like, I really believe that a lot of people, a lot of the students just don't try on certain things. And they're so able to do well. They just need to try. Yeah, motivation. Yeah. We are running out of time. I know you're a busy man. You got to get going. Last question. If you could wave a magic wand to strengthen public education for all children, what are some things you would do? Oh, man, if, if, if I could. That's a great question. I honestly, if we could find a way to make speech classes, and debate mandatory for all. Right. Well, speech and debate, speech and debate, uh, a thing. I think public speaking is very important. I think a lot of people need to be able to speak up because it's important. But more than anything, being able to just learn outside of the classroom more often for Mm -hmm. everyone, I think it's great. Like if you have a chemistry class where you're studying something, go outside and learn it. Like I think um, 
this edu- like the educational experience we've had where like we were basically learning we were in Chinatown yesterday or yeah yesterday or the day before um, learning about just culture and eating and I'm basically trying to teach these kids Mandarin <laughs> with these, with um, <laughs> with some of the with some of the people there um, I realized mm. that you know a lot of learning can happen outside of the classroom. A lot of learning does because it's applicable to their lives. And I think that a lot of things that are done, math or English or history or any subject, if you are willing to have them outside, like if if I could just spin it around and just have a lot of these classes in real time, in real life, like real life things, I think if we make school real for them, Mm -hmm. then it will change their lives. Yes. Thank you. The message I take is learning is not confined to any four walls. And if we can bridge the gap or eliminate the gap between school and the real world, that could be very powerful for children. Thank you so much for your thoughts. I really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you, man. This is great. I appreciate it. And that's all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Turn and Talk Podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools. The support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself, people who are interested in the present and the future of education. So feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast. We invite you to also follow us on Instagram at turnandtalkpodcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device. If you have questions, thought, feedback, or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back, please email us at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in. This is your host, Jay McSuits, signing out. Peace.